If you want to learn more about the person of Jesus Christ, the book of Colossians offers an unrivaled portrayal of our Savior. And to help you understand this important book in a deeper way, Dr. David Jeremiah has created a verse-by-verse study called Christ Above All. This helpful book and album are yours when you donate $60 to Turning Point. And with an $80 gift, you'll also receive the Written Word Journal. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. Pop culture may celebrate angels, but the motive is clear. Selling the image is more important than telling the truth. Do you know the difference? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah turns to God's Word for the facts on these heavenly beings as he continues the series, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help. Here's David to introduce today's message, What Are Angels Anyway? Uh, someone says to me, uh, Dr. Jeremiah, how do you do a study like this? Well, uh, you go to a comprehensive concordance, and you look up the word angel, and every time you see it, you write down the scripture, and then you look up all those scriptures, and by the time you get done with that, you have a pretty good idea of what the Bible says about angels. I probably went through a little more comprehensive uh, process than that in writing this book, but that's really the basic thing. You can find out a lot about anything if you just are willing to do some research. What we're trying to discover is what the Bible really says about angels and what do they do? Who are they? How do they fit into God's plan? Well, I'm telling you, they have a really important role, and it's way more dynamic than some of the silliness that happens when you see angels out in public today. We're going to talk about what are angels anyway in just a moment on this Friday edition of Turning Point. I always like to take a moment on Friday and remind you that Turning Point is never, never to be a replacement for your church. You know, over these uh, last months since COVID, a lot of people have stopped going to church and many of them stay home and watch internet services or maybe even listen to the radio. I want to encourage you to get back to church. If you haven't been going to church, this is a really important thing. The Bible instructs you not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together more than ever before. As believers, we need to join together with each other every weekend. So wherever you go to church, you should go back if you haven't been going. If you don't have a church near you, make it a project to find a church that reaches out with the Word of God and where people carry their Bibles when they go to church and uh, get started again. Church is vital to your ongoing life uh, ability as a Christian, and I want to make sure you make it a priority. And um, that means everybody, all of us, let's get back to church. Today we uh, pick up part one of What Are Angels Anyway? And we're going to do that right now. Let's open our Bibles together. On more than one occasion, Corey Ten Boom has written of the intervention of angels in her life. One such story records the experience that she and her sister Betsy had as they were sent to a concentration camp for the crime of sheltering Jews. In the horror of all they met there, a prayer for angels' help saw a remarkable answer. And it's all recorded in a book that was written several years ago called A Prisoner and Yet by Corey Ten Boom. In this book, she tells this story. She said we were standing on the great open square in front of the administration building of the concentration camp. We had thrown our arms around each other and drawn more closely to us the blanket that we had carried. It was very cold. 
We had already spent two days and nights outside, and now we were standing in a long line waiting in front of the bathhouse. At the door of the somber, dark building was a pile of clothing, packages, suitcases, provisions, and blankets, all thrown together in a colorful, chaotic heap. Gradually, it became a mountain. It was all the possessions of all the new arrivals, and their possessions were all being taken away from them. The women coming out of the shower rooms had on a thin dress, an undershirt, and a pair of wooden shoes, nothing more. I felt Betsy shivering and pressed her closely to me. Oh, Lord, I prayed, save us from this evil. Betsy is so frail. An officer appeared in the doorway and screamed at us hoarsely. Do you have any objections to surrendering your clothes? We'll teach you Hollanders what Ravensbrück is all about. The light shone on his cruel face. For a few minutes, we were quiet and spoke softly with the Savior. He was with us and knew what we were suffering, and he loved us. Lord, I prayed, if thou dost ask this sacrifice of us, give us the strength to make it. Corey, I am ready, whispered Betsy softly. Then everything is all right, I answered. I took her arm, and together we entered the frightful building. At a table were women who took away all of our possessions. I asked a woman who was busy checking the possessions of the new arrivals if I might use the toilet. She pointed at a door, and I discovered that that convenience was nothing more than a hole in the shower room floor. Betsy stayed close beside me all the time, and suddenly I had an inspiration. Quick, take off your woolen underwear, I whispered to her. I rolled it up with mine and laid the bundle in a corner. The Lord is busy answering our prayers, Betsy, I whispered. We shall not have to make the sacrifice of all of our clothes. We hurried back to the row of women waiting to be undressed. A little later, after we had our showers and put on our shirts and shabby dresses, I hid the roll of underwear under my dress. It did bulge out, obviously, through my dress, but I prayed, Lord, cause now thine angels to surround me and let them not be transparent, for the guard must not even see me. I felt perfectly at ease. Calmly, I passed the guards. Everyone was checked from the front, the sides, the back. Not a bulge escaped their eyes. The woman just in front of me had hidden a woolen vest under her dress. It was taken from her. They let me pass, for they did not see me. Betsy, right behind me, was searched. But outside awaited another danger. On each side of the door were women who looked everyone over for a second time. They felt over the body of each one who passed. I knew they would not see me, for the angels were still surrounding me. I was not even surprised when they passed me by, but within me rose this jubilant cry, O Lord, if thou dost so answer prayer, I can face even Ravensbrook unafraid. End of story. Now, I know if I could peer into your hearts right now, that many of you would be saying, if not out loud, at least in your heart, did that really happen? Does God really still allow events like that in our world? Can he surround a woman with angels in such a way that she passes through a line of inspection and is not even seen? Well, if you study what the Bible says about angels, you know that that little caper is child's play for an angel assigned by God to a distressed child. But what are angels anyway? And where did they come from? 
and what are they like? There's so much that's being said about them today that it's important that we go back to the beginning and start where the Bible starts. And I need to tell you at the very outset of this message that the Bible teaches that angels are God's created beings. God created the angels. For instance, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 tells us that for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. In the middle of that verse, there is a listing of the hierarchy of God's creation, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. Wherever that appears in the New Testament, the word powers is the word that stands for God's angelic creation. In Psalm 148, verses 2 and 5, we read this. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. Nehemiah 9, 6 says it this way. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, that's the angels, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all, and the host of heaven worships you. Now these verses just plainly state that the Lord created the angels. They are not the result of the Big Bang. They did not come in the hierarchy of some evolutionary process. God created the angels. But that's really not the issue that is debated by most who study this subject. The issue isn't, did God create them? The issue is, when did he do it? Some people believe that angels predate everything, predate all the creative acts, that they go back to the primordial eternity. One thing we do know is this, that the angels were present very early in the creative process. Job chapter 38, verses 4 through 7, tells us this. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Now, if you read the passage carefully, what you notice is that in the book of Job, we are told that the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy when God was in the process of creating the world, which says they were there at the beginning. The morning stars mentioned in this verse are almost universally understood to refer to the angels of God. And they cannot possibly refer to the stars of the heavens because they were not created until the fourth day of creation. And the sons of God who are mentioned here are also mentioned in the first chapter of Job. You remember the story when the sons of God came before the Lord and Satan was among them as a part of the angelic hosts. So here we have in Job 38, 4 through 7, the angelic host present at the very beginning of God's creative process. Psalm 104. Now I want to read the first few verses, but we're going to center on verses 4 and 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. You cover yourself with light as with a garment. 
who stretch out the heavens like a curtain, who lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters, who makes the clouds his chariot, who walks on the wings of the wind. Now watch this. Who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire, who laid the foundations of the earth. Now, in Psalm 104, this great psalm, which was written to praise God for his creative acts, tells us, when the angels were created. According to the record, the next act after the creation of space-time cosmos, here in Psalm 104 verse 5, is the creation of the angels. And immediately after the angels were created, according to the psalmist, then God laid the foundation of the earth. What day was that? Probably on the second day. It is an incredible thing to think that one of the most important creations of God before man was created, before much of what we know in our world was created, was God's creative act when he created all the angels. Now, while we have our Bibles open to Psalm 104, we can learn just a little bit about the substance of these angels. For the Bible says that they were created as ministers, a flame of fire. This remarkable verse seems to state that these servants of God are actually composed of flaming fire. This is really beyond anything that we can imagine because we think in the natural realm. We do not know what the nature of angels really are, but we do know that they are unlike us. Men are made of natural and chemical elements and are subject to the electromagnetic and gravitational forces which control these elements. But angels are not. They are different. They are unique. They are very much connected with the fire that is mentioned here. In fact, I'll give you a little hint. When you read your Bibles, watch how often angels and fire appear in the same text. And we'll see a couple of them even yet today. You see, angels are able to defy the electromagnetic and gravitational pull, which men are so controlled by. They are able to move swiftly from one place to the other. In fact, on one occasion in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 21, we read, While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. Daniel prayed, God heard his prayer, and immediately the angel was dispatched. I do not know anything at all about the space between the two places, except that angels are not bound by all of that. They are totally different than we are. And they are able to do that which we are not able to do. Often in the scriptures, angels are associated directly with the stars of heaven, which of course are orbs of flaming fire. That's the substance of angels. Let me add just one other thought while we're talking about their creation, and we'll move from that in a moment. And that is... I want you to think with me about when the angels were created and the fact that all of them were created at the same time, the simultaneous creation of all the angels. It is important to understand that angels were all created just like that. Their full number was created in the beginning and there has been no addition to that number since the second day of creation. Unlike human beings who are conceived and born at different times in history, All of the angels were created at a single moment in time. And listen to me. There are no little angels. All the angels are the adult angels that God created at the moment of his creation. 
In fact, Matthew 22 and verse 30 tells us that angels do not marry, nor are they given in marriage. And that means that angels don't procreate, so there aren't any other angels being born. The number of angels that were created on the second day of creation is the exact number of angels that we have today. And that is very important for us to understand. Now that's a little bit about where they came from, and we won't spend any more time there. Let's talk about what they're like. What are angels like? If one should appear, if we should become acquainted with an angel, what should we expect? And I want to say quickly five things about angels that I hope you will write down. Number one, they are innumerable. I mean, they are just a multitude of them. In fact, Hebrews 12.22 actually uses that term to describe them. Have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. How many angels are there? They're innumerable. That means you can't count them. You can't possibly know how many there are. Second Chronicles 18, 18 says it this way. Then Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. He looked into heaven and he saw the entire heavenly expanse just filled with the angels of God. In Daniel chapter 7 and verse 10, we read this. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. Daniel says there were just myriads of angels. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 11. Do you remember that verse? It says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And we did our math and we said that meant there were a hundred million angels at least. That's a lot of angels. So if you wonder, are there enough up there so that if I need one, it's available to me. I think you're probably in good shape, all right? Angels are innumerable. But let me tell you something else that's very important for us to understand about them. They're invisible. Angels are invisible. Now, most of you are like me. We've been sort of oblivious to angels most of our lives. So there's really no telling how many times they've intervened when we've needed them. Some years ago, when I had my ordination for the gospel ministry, I was in ordination council, and they asked me a question We were discussing angels, and they asked me, do you believe in guardian angels? And before I could answer, my mother, who was sitting there, said, well, if he doesn't, I do. That's what she said in the meeting. And she had watched me grow up and all of the close calls I had had along the way. But we are not usually aware of the intervention of angels in our lives because they're invisible. Well, you say, Pastor Jeremiah, if angels are invisible, then how is it that so many angel sightings have been reported both in the Bible and in today's world? There has to be an answer to that, and frankly, there are two answers to it. And they're both right from the Word of God. Turn in your Bibles to the 18th chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 18. And let me teach you a little bit from this passage in the life of Abraham. You remember the story of how Abraham was so concerned about his nephew Lot because Lot was in a lot of trouble. He was in Sodom. And so he was pleading to God that Lot would be rescued. And the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 18 that God heard his prayer and beginning at the beginning of the chapter it says, and the Lord appeared to Abraham by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tenth door in the heat of the day. 
And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. Now, if we had time to read the rest of this text, we would discover that one of these three men were actually Jehovah, the Lord. He's mentioned several times in the passage. And the other two men were angels. But when Abraham saw them, they just appeared to him like three men. Here's the point. One of the reasons why people see angels is because angels have the ability to appear to us as human beings if they choose to do so or if God so ordains. In this story, they appeared to Abraham as Jesus and two angels, all three of them looking like men. And I went through the story and wrote down in my notes that if you read it carefully, you will see that these angels ate, they washed, they walked, they held hands, and they took a physical form. They looked like men. But... In the midst of the story, as you know, as Abraham was pleading with them for his nephew's life, the Lord said to the other two who were with him, you go down there and take care of Lot and get him out of the mess that he's in. And so we read in chapter 19 and verse 1, watch this. And the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Who are the two angels? The two angels are the two men of the 18th chapter, they were disguised as men and looked upon as men. And then the Bible tells us who they really were. They were angels. So that's why some of you have told me the stories you've told me. How that somebody was in the hospital and you went in and there was a man there in the hospital room that nobody could identify. You didn't know where he came from or where he went. And he was there in a helping, ministering way. And you believe it was an angel. And it very well may have been because angels have the ability to put themselves in human form so they can be seen. That's one of the reasons why angels have sightings these days. But there's another reason, and it's even more exciting to me. And that is, not only can angels appear in the form of a human being, but oftentimes God can open the eyes of individuals so that they can see what otherwise would be unseen. And I want to tell you two stories to illustrate that from the Bible. One of them is one of the most humorous stories that I have ever read in the scriptures. It's found in Numbers chapter 22 and 23. And it is a very interesting story. It is the story of Israel in their military campaigns. And Israel had developed a reputation of defeating everybody they fought against because they had Jehovah God on their side. Well, the king of Moab was a man by the name of Balak. He had heard about how Israel was being so rough on their enemies. And Balak got this idea that the way he could keep Israel off his back was to go and find the prophet Balaam. And pay Balaam enough money so that he would curse Israel and then Israel wouldn't be a threat to him. So if you read the story, you know, he goes and he finds Balaam and he says, I want you to go and curse Israel. And Balaam says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll talk to the Lord about it and see what he says. So he talked to the Lord. The Lord said, don't do it. He went back and he said, I can't do this. The Lord said, I can't do it. And so Balak says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll up the ante. I'll give you some more money. I'll I'll make it more attractive to you. So he says, well, let me go tell the Lord. Now he went back and told the Lord. The Lord said, I don't want you to do this. And so he came back the third time. And finally the Lord said, you go with him, but you tell him only what I tell you to tell him. So here's the story. Balaam gets on his donkey. And along with the king of Moab, Balak, they head off toward Moab. And on their way, they get to a place and the donkey stops. Now Balaam's a little upset about this because... The donkey stopped and won't go forward. And he starts, you know, I'm imagining a little bit, but he starts working his donkey over. So finally, the donkey goes off the path over out of the way and runs up against the wall. Just about breaks old Balaam's leg. And he's really getting upset about this now. 
And the more upset he gets, the more angry he gets. In fact, in one place in the scripture, he says to the donkey, if I had a sword, I'd kill you. The donkey just finally sat down and wouldn't move. And Balaam is really frustrated. And finally, what we discover as we read the story is that the reason that the donkey sat down was that the angel of the Lord was standing in the pathway in front of the donkey and it terrified the poor animal. I told you the angel of the Lord was uh, pretty powerful because, as you know, the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ. And uh, we'll have more about this uh, question, what are angels anyway, after the weekend. I hope you'll be ready to join us on Monday. Don't forget, on the weekend, we're on television and we're everywhere in America. You can get us on many local stations. You can get us on some of the networks. If you do not know uh, how to find us from your place where you live, we have a a thing that we do on the internet called a station finder. And if you go there and put in your zip code, it'll tell you all the stations that touch you uh, where you live and you'll be ready to go. Don't watch us when you should be in church. DVR it and and uh, come home and watch it later. But uh, we teach different things on the weekend and I know you'll be blessed by it and I hope you'll watch. And don't forget also you can get the book Uh, Just for a gift of any size during the month of November, just send a gift and say, send me the book on angels to help us continue reaching the world with the Word of God. Thank you so much for being with us. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next time right here on Turning Point. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help, What the Bible Reveals. Uplifting and helpful, it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in several distinctive cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help, on Turning Point. The rapture is God's promise that He'll return. If you want to learn how to be rapture ready, then be sure to order Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, The Great Disappearance. This fascinating glimpse into the next event on God's prophetic calendar is available for a donation of any amount to Turning Point. Donate $75 and you'll receive The Great Disappearance set. Donate $100 or more and you'll receive a three-book share pack. Get yours today at davidjeremiah.ca. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. It's been said that anyone who believes that practice makes perfect 
doesn't have a child taking piano or violin lessons. It's not true that practice makes perfect, but it is true that practice makes progress toward perfection, even if we never achieve it. The Bible has a big word to describe making progress in the Christian life. It's the word sanctification. In short, it means making progress in becoming more like Jesus. Sanctification in this life is an ongoing process of progress toward perfection. Perfection we will only achieve when we find ourselves in the presence of Christ himself. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's path to perfection on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.